Well, turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And we've got to verse 12. I want to read to verse 17, but we're only going to think about verse down to verse 14. So uh, these are really important um, verses and often skipped over, I think, and not really wrestled with. We're going to do some wrestling this evening, but um, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Uh, We put ourselves at your disposal as we meditate on it, and we ask you to come with your truth. Perhaps to some of us here coming afresh or in a new way, a completely new way, Uh, And we pray that you'd help us to receive it uh, with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans chapter 8 is is a chapter about assurance and Christian assurance. And it it really spells out for us um, how, how we're to live our lives as believing Christians resting on the saving work of Christ and resting on all the promises that he has made for us. And this, these verses, so looking at 12 to 14, this is, oh, we haven't read it yet, so let me just read it. <laughs> that sometimes happens. <laughs> Let's read it, and uh, we'll uh, resume where I left off. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this, uh, this section, uh, as I said, it's, it's in the context of assurance, and it brings to us uh, one of the, the great benefits of being a Christian, um, that as believers, we are adopted into the family of God, and we'll come to that more next time. Um, uh, verse 15 says that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Uh, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we'll, as I said, we'll think about that next time. But, um, but we are, but what's important to, it's important to set this, uh, have that as a background to everything he says here in this chapter, that we're part of a family of God, that we're received by God, we're uh, received by our Heavenly Father, and now called children of God. Uh, by grace, by adoption, uh, so we're part of the family. We have Jesus Christ as our elder brother, 
who is uh, the son by nature, uh, by eternal generation, we are sons and daughters by uh, adoption, but we ha- also have the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, to, to, to lead us and to help us uh, in all kinds of ways. And this is what Paul has been talking about here is in, in this chapter, about the presence of the Spirit in the life of the Christian now, that, and how that changes everything uh, for the Christian. And so, increasingly as Christians, we, we take up the characteristics of this this new family that we're part of. Um, in earlier chapters, we've, we've refle- we have reflected on the fact that as those who have been brought into that realm of grace, moved from that realm of sin into the realm of grace, uh, under sin, moved from there into being under Christ, uh, we have likened that a little bit to emigrating, to moving from one country to another. Uh, and, you know, when you move to another country, and some of you know this, uh, you you begin to, uh, and maybe some of you have still got some way to go in this, but you begin to take on some of the characteristics of the country that you're in. You begin to uh, adopt the habits of the people around you, and maybe the accent. Uh, I'm hanging on to my Scottish accent as much as I can. Uh, but, you know, uh, sometimes my wife goes a bit further than that than me. Uh, sometimes her vowels are a bit strange. <laughs> to my ears. But uh, but you should know that when, when I'm, and I've learned to do this over the years, is when I'm preaching, I'm actually speaking slower than I would if I was in Glasgow. So uh, when I'm in Glasgow and I come back, we're often recharged. But you see, we take on some of the characteristics of the, the world around us, don't we? Um, and uh, uh, But how much more that's true of being adopted into a family? Um, and you, you know, as you live with a family, as you grow in a family, um, you begin to be like your family, um, you know, there's a number of times I've thought to myself as when I was, um, our daughter was, was younger, you know, I'd say maybe a word of rebuke to her or something, and this little thought would come into my head and say, uh, you just said that like your dad said that to you. You know, you take on habits from the family, uh, and you find that you laugh together, and you laugh at the same things, and you, you like the same things, and you enjoy the same things a lot of the time. You take on the habits. Um, the same is true of somebody who's become a Christian. And, uh, and so remember that as, as we've gone through chapters 6 through to 8 now, we've thought about that change that comes about in the Christian life. Um, rather like leaving an old country behind and coming to a new country and taking on the characteristics of the new country. Um, now you're, you're, you're truly free in this new country of grace under the Lord Jesus Christ. You're truly free, and you can begin to express that family likeness in your life. Um, And we've seen how inwardly that happens for the Christian. We've seen how um, when somebody's become a Christian, has the Holy Spirit indwelling, uh, you begin to experience a new mind. You begin to think differently. 
you don't think in the same old thought patterns that you had before, uh, but you think differently. You have new desires of the heart. Uh, you, the things that you used to love, you just don't love anymore. And you have new affections. You know, you, it, it, Your heart seems to go in a totally different direction as a Christian. And you love the things more in line with what Christ uh, uh, loves too. And no, that doesn't all happen all at once, of course. It's a process of transformation. But that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, transforming us from one degree of glory uh, to another. And, uh, and so we no longer live the way that we did before, do we? And all of that, in one sense, it happens to us. The change happens to us uh, by the grace of God. And this is the, the great and wonderful truth about how the gospel comes to a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. But when God comes in grace to you, you you're never the same again. You're, you're just changed completely. Um, it all happens uh, to us. And we find that so much has been done for us and there's so much that is being done in us. Uh, what are the things that have been done for us? Well, all the things that God has done in history for us. Uh, remember back in verse 3, he said this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Uh, and so we look back to the work of Jesus Christ in history to deal with the sin, to deal with the penalty that hangs over God's people, and also to free them from the uh, the hold that sin has on them. And then, of course, that's not the end of it in history, but God does things in us. And so he says, goes on to say in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So changes begin to happen uh, as the Holy Spirit's at work in us. Um, So in chapter 8, Paul is explaining how things are being done in us through the work of the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and as we said last week, um, if, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, uh, he is the fundamental thing that is different um, about you, who changes you from what you once were and changes you from what the rest of the world is. You're a new person in Christ, part of the new creation. And it's this influence of the Holy Spirit that begins to form and shape the family likeness that you will will become. So I want to begin, uh, you may have thought I began a while ago. Um, (laughs) uh, Just the first main thing to talk about is is living as a member of the new family, verses 12 and 13. Um, What does it mean to live as a member of this new family? Paul addresses them as brothers, but of course he's using the, the... uh, the, the word Adelphoi, uh, which is brothers uh, generically. So he's using it for brothers and sisters. Um, and he begins by calling them debtors. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to living according to the flesh. Now why does he call them debtors? Why does he call Christians debtors? Does he mean that getting eternal life is a bit like um, taking out a mortgage 
And then over time, you kind of pay God back with your good works. You know, so you're a debtor. You know, that's how we understand debt. Does that, is that what he means? <laughs> uh, no, of course not. It's not that kind of debt at all. But what he means is that in, in the light of all the great things that God has done in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that there is now an obligation on the recipients of that blessing to live in a new way. Not that you're paying anything back, but you have that sense of obligation that's on you to, to live in a new way. And it's more than simply that it's a feeling of gratitude, which must be there. There's nothing worse than ungrateful beneficiaries of, of, of anything, especially the grace of God. An ungrateful beneficiary of the grace of God may not have received the grace of God. But now that one is a, a part of a new family, there is an obligation to live a new way. To live as part of the family. And not to live according to the flesh. In other words, not to live according to the old, uh, the patterns of this old life. And not, you, have, you have no obligation to that old life. Remember the, old, the way you used to live before you were a believer. In the old country. But you have no longer any obligation to live that way. We don't believe that sometimes. Sometimes we think we can't do anything else than carry out the sins that we have committed. That's not the way the Bible sees it. You have no obligation to that life. Don't live that way. And so, uh, the, and sometimes you, you, know, you can meet Christians who seem to be more concerned, I hope there's nobody like this here, but who seem to be more concerned to, to fit in with the rest of the world and to, to make sure that they understand that you're just like them and, and there's a certain extent uh, sense in which that's true. But sometimes it's at, at the expense of Christian witness in the world. I'm going to be exactly like them. I'm even going to just indulge in their sins a bit. Because, you know, after all, Christians are, can have a good time as well. How many times have I heard that through the years? We need the world to know that Christians can have a good time. No, we need the world to know the gospel. <laughs> Sorry. Anything else is, you know, is neither here nor there. We need the world to know the gospel. We need to stand for Jesus Christ and live as men and women who have received it and for whom it has changed you. So this is the true Christian impulse to now live a new life. To, yes, be thankful that you have been saved, but recognize that my identity has been changed. I'm a new man, new woman, new boy, new girl in Jesus Christ. And that's who I am. And I live in a new way. And we take the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in baptism. That's why Paul mentions baptism at all in chapter 6, because that's you identifying publicly with the people of God and Christ and his body. Saying, this is who I am now. Jesus Christ is mine and I'm his. So living as a, a member of a new family. But, which brings me to the next point, which is uh, living this way involves us. It involves us consciously. What do I mean? 
I said earlier that uh, you know when you become a Christian, certain things happen to you, and this is the this is the gracious intervention of God into your life. And maybe at the time you didn't want or expect it that God came in, and you are, and now you can say, "Well, I was saved by grace alone. I didn't want God. I didn't want anything to do with Christianity. But somehow G- God came into my life, presented to me Jesus Christ, and suddenly I'm changed. And uh, you know, I wasn't looking for it, but suddenly it happened. And, and essentially, you're passive. God has intervened in your life graciously, wonderfully. So, in the profoundest sense, salvation is. I mean, in salvation, you're passive. God does it for you and in you. But that doesn't mean then that Christians remain passive in the Christian life with a kind of kisara, uh, sara, whatever it will be, will be kind of attitude. You know, I've got my ticket to heaven and uh, well, I can just continue living as I like. Um, you know, if you're a Christian, you are involved in your own life now. <laughs> which may sound a strange thing to say, but you notice what what Paul says here. Um, He says in verse 3, By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. And it is interesting, because people think that that's going to happen to you passively. That somehow the Holy Spirit is going to make these changes, and I don't even have to think about it. And so some people might think, well, I can just continue as I lived before. And, you know, suddenly the Holy Spirit makes this swan out of an ugly duckling. Um, And I didn't know anything about it, and suddenly I'm all changed and beautiful. (laughs) Uh, And actually that's not quite the way that Paul sees the Christian life. Because what you and I need to do is to put to death the deeds of the body. It's not the Holy Spirit that puts to death the deeds of the body. It's not Jesus who puts to death the deeds of the body that is being talked about here. He's talking about you putting to death the deeds of the body, deeds of the flesh, deeds of the body. So what does he mean by that? Well, he just means that by on the part of the Christian, there is an active, conscious work on the part of the Christian to root out and kill sin. Got to be involved in it. Got to be day by day, hour by hour, step by step, consciously dealing with sin. And what he means is, he doesn't just mean the uh, tidy up your outward behavior. That's that's what hypocrites do. Uh, Just put on a few nice clothes and... uh, Tidy up your language a bit, and uh, maybe that's okay. That's not what he's talking about. Um, to illustrate why why that's a silly example, um, what does a plumber do when he gets when when he comes to deal with a burst water pipe? Uh, I, I can imagine what I would try and do. Or at least I remember trying to do this once, trying to fix it while the water's still flowing. <laughs> and you're trying to you're trying to fix the hole with this putty stuff, and the water's everywhere. And it never, only eventually did it occur to me, oh, I, pr- I should probably go and switch off at the mains first of all. <laughs> I'm wiser now. Uh, but you need to get to the root of the problem first before you can uh, deal with the, the presenting issue. And that's what it's like with sin. 
not just tidying up our outward behavior. We're dealing with the heart, the sins of the heart. That's what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. So, um, you know, everybody, lots of people think very highly of the Sermon on the Mount. And the trouble is that few people have actually read it. I'm sure you have. But when you read it, you soon discover that Jesus is not just concerned about outward things like murdering people. <laughs> um, he actually cares about hating people long before you get to the murder stage. He's not just caring about adultery and sex outside, outside of marriage. He's, he cares about how you think about these attractive people you see around you and the lustful thoughts that come into your head. He cares about the heart. Cares about, the, cares about it deeply. And Paul says, by the Spirit, yes, we need the Spirit's help. And we have it. But now he says, put to death the deeds of the body. Which brings us to the third thing. It is by the Holy Spirit we can do this. Only by the Holy Spirit we can do this. And this is the this is the radical difference that the Holy Spirit makes in who's in every believer. We're not left alone to do this by ourselves. But rather we have the indwelling Spirit who now gives us the resources that we previously did not have. When I was... Um, as a child, I, I grew up. Well, I grew up going, you know, being sent to church. My parents didn't go to church, but we had a church at the top of the road, and uh, my parents sent my brother and I to church. Um, and uh, so we went, and uh, and schools, as I mentioned this morning, schools were fairly scripture orientated in those days in, in Ayrshire, and uh, the children were taught like Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer and, and all of these things. And I remember, I knew the story of Jesus and the cross, but I didn't believe it. I just knew it, but I didn't believe it. And at times I was interested in, in God's stuff, but I, in truth I didn't really believe much of it. And if I had chosen to believe it, then I still wouldn't believe it. Because you can't, your belief is not something that you choose. Something, there is a profound sense in which belief is something that kind of happens to you. I, I found that when I was studying mathematics. You know, I, I didn't choose to believe the theorems that I had to learn for mathematics. I got convinced of them because I could see them. And I could see clearly. And suddenly you believe it. And it's the same with spiritual truths. Uh, you don't just choose to believe something. You suddenly see it. Um, and so when I was in that state at school and learning all these Bible stories and everything, you know, no matter how I choose, whatever I choose, I could say, well, today I choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would still not believe a word of it. Because I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the significance of it. So choosing is not the issue. 
But the day Jesus Christ kind of uh, appeared to me, and I'm not saying he physically or anything strange like that. I'm just saying there was a day I understood something hit me like a ton of bricks. And I couldn't not believe it. There was a sense of compulsion that enabled me to believe. And that is what the Holy I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. He causes us to believe. That's what he does at the start. He gives power to believe when previously one one couldn't do it. So as you think about that, what about this desire to put to death the deeds of the body? Well, it comes from the same source. It comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling in the believer. The Holy Spirit changes your heart and gives you this desire to change. He gives you the resources you need to put to death the deeds of the body. That doesn't mean it's easy. Um, That doesn't mean it's a breeze. I mean, it it requires work. Uh, Paul, uh, sorry, the, the writer to Hebrews says, strive after holiness. You know, strive. Fight for it. You know, agonize over it. Wrestle with it. Doesn't make it easy. And Paul's, uh, you know, in verse seventeen, he's he's going to talk about how it's part of the Christian life is to suffer with him, to suffer with Christ. But now you see, the Christian can do these things. The Christian can put to death the deeds of the body. By the Holy Spirit. When you couldn't do it before. Now this, uh, this persistent dealing with sin in your life is, is actually a must for the Christian. It is an essential characteristic. There is not, uh, this is not a special kind of Christianity. This is not one for the elite special forces of the Christian world. This is for all Christians. All Christians who have the Holy Spirit have this, these resources at their disposal. This is the normal Christian life. And if you're a Christian today, there is, uh, uh, there, you must be putting to death the deeds of the body. Let me ask you something. When did you last consciously repent of sin, our sin? Can you actually think of a time when you consciously repented of a sin? Remember, a while back I, I, I heard a, about a Presbyterian minister who's being examined for the ministry, and, and he was asked that question When did you last consciously repent of a sin? And he gave the answer a couple of hours ago. I remember being shocked by that because I couldn't remember when I'd last, at the time, when I'd last consciously repented of sin. I'm not sure anybody, I've ever seen anybody in our presbytery being asked that question. When did you last consciously repent of a sin? Um, But when did you last consciously repent of a sin? I suggest to you that uh, your answer to that will tell you a great deal about the reality of your Christian profession. You see, there's a, there's a warning here in verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
that. So you cannot claim, on the one hand, to be a Christian and still be living according to the flesh. If you're a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit, you'll be consciously, uh, you'll be consciously living in a way that mortifies sin. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit, to help you in that. And he doesn't fail. He will make you holy. So if you have the Holy Spirit and you know his power uh, to put to death the deeds of the body in life, then that's a mark that you are a son of God. That's our last point here. Being sons of God. Uh, and again, the Greek uses the word sons uh, 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 generically to mean a plural for everyone. So women are included here. But Paul puts it in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Uh, when, when Paul says led by the Spirit, uh, often Christians will kind of take that way out of its context and talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit in life. Um, I was led by the Holy Spirit to take this job. I was led to, to go to su- such and such a place. Uh, I was led to go and do this, do that, wear, wear certain colored socks. Uh, I, the Holy Spirit does all these things for me. The Holy Spirit leads me in all of these practical ways. Except Paul is not talking about any of that. <laughs> Um, he is talking about the leading of the Spirit to help you deal with sin in your life. Um, The leading of the Spirit is primarily about holiness. Yes, he does help you with some things, practical things. Never deny that he does. I would never deny that he does that. But what Paul means here is, is dealing with sin in your life. How does the Holy Spirit lead you to... To live the Christian life? Well, part of it is, is dealing with sin. And I think this is, this is a defining mark of the ongoing life of a, of a Christian, a true child of God. But it is the most wonderful statement about the Christian condition, isn't it? That we are gathered up by God. We, are, we have received the Holy Spirit. That he is doing everything for us to to work in us, to make us more Christ-like and make us ready for heaven. What a glorious thing to be a Christian. And you've been saved from a tyrant called sin and you're now uh, children of God and called sons and daughters of God. Amazing thing. Well, we know what it means for Uh, For children to have a stable and secure family home in which to grow up. And children, when they grow up in that stable home, they grow up, they develop, they mature. Um, And when you've got wise parents uh, to to guide your children, uh, it's a glorious thing to see your children grow up uh, into the faith of Jesus Christ and to be blessed and to grow and to go out into the world and start doing great things, amazing things. This is what God is doing for us as his sons and daughters. Raise us up to nurture us and bring us to maturity and as we go out into the world to do great things for him. Marvelous things for him. For his glory. Yes, it may involve suffering. It may involve great trials. But that's what he calls us to. And he's taken us home to glory to come. He's making us ready for that day. The Christian, you see, has all of all of that family life 
working out. We have a Heavenly Father who has adopted His children, who cares for us and provides for us, who is looking, who is provided for our sins in, in His Son, Jesus Christ, who is looking for them to grow and mature by means of His Holy Spirit and to become holy and mature. This is a great blessing of the outworking of the gospel in the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this new family life that we have, to be sons and daughters of God, uh, to be set apart, and now to be living in a new way with the help of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray you help us to grow in holiness, to have that attitude of striving to be holy, to put to death the deeds of the body, that we may be led by the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.